Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Some of you might remember me. It's so good to be here. It is so good to be with you. Uh, I've had the opportunity to preach in a couple of churches in the last month or so. One in Arizona, it was like they were having the worst cold snap, of course, in Arizona. But it was great to, to speak with them. And then in Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, it was having there having a big warm snap. So that's, you know, everything's topsy-turvy. But there's no place like being home. And uh, this is home. And uh, just so glad that we get to be together and we get to be in God's Word together. And I want to welcome all of our locations all around uh, this region. So thankful for each and every one of you. If you're inside or online, we love you and, and uh, just so happy to be able to share with you this fine Lord's Day as well. And uh, just one thing I want to remind you of is that in the month of March, there are two more marriage retreats. And I'm going to be talking about marriage today. And there is nothing that you could do better than just to invest yourself in a marriage retreat. Let God speak into your life. Let His Word speak into your life. To focus on that, that's homework worth doing. And uh, it can totally, totally change your life, your marriage, your kids, your grandkids. Who knows the blessings that God will give through that uh, whole process. So we're in this series. I love the title of this series, and it's Reclaim. I love the word reclaim. So much I feel like biblically that is encapsulated in that word reclaim. And I was preparing for this message today, and I saw these two little taglines that they kind of did some artistic work with. You can see, just makes them kind of hard to read. But it's restoring what was lost and fixing what is broken. Restoring what was lost and fixing what is broken. And uh, those, uh, those words, that word reclaim and those two taglines, they kind of hit me. Because there's an assumption that's being made in that word. The word reclaim. And the assumption is that you want whatever is broken or whatever was lost. That you, that you want that back, right? Whether... You earned it, whether you paid a lot for it, whether it was just precious to you or what, that you want that back. You want to reclaim that. And I'm contextualizing that in my life and in my context, in my circumstances. And I wonder how you might feel about those words. Do you sense culturally that we are surrounded by broken things? Do you feel like we've lost things, like some really necessary things, and they seem to be lost or forgotten? I wonder if you might feel that way as an American, like in our country. You might feel that way uh, as a, com a, a community member, like in your community. All these communities that we represent uh, at the crossing, all of them that we're in. Or maybe even personally, things that are lost or broken inside of you. I, I, I want you to know that I feel that way. That's a burden on me. And I want to do something right now uh, that maybe I would encourage you to do today. And that is, I'm going to confess something to you. And that is that uh, sometimes 
I feel like the things that I so uh, that I feel so deeply, they don't really resonate sometimes with younger generations, and it makes me wonder if there is even a desire out there to reclaim anything. Instead, I see this nonstop indoctrination to move American culture away from reclaiming and instead embracing new ideas about sexual identity, about historical identity, about national identity, about social identity, and about civility, and so many other things. And I don't want to be classified, I know I'm 63 years old, but I don't want to be that guy who's mourning the good old days, but can't help believe, but believe that so much that is so valuable has been broken and lost. And I confess to you that sometimes I feel like that any desire to want to reclaim any of those things is just a pipe dream. So then I hear about something happening in Wilmore, Kentucky. Went viral a couple weeks ago. Everyone that has a pulse knows what I'm talking about. Asbury University students refused to leave their weekly chapel service. They have three chapel services a week. And instead continued to worship and praise God in their chapel. And they missed their classes to continue to worship and praise God. And I know that, that you've heard about it. Like just one uh, post on social media had over 80 million views. So everybody's heard about this, and the more I saw, the more I actually heard about, mostly with social media, I wanted to investigate it myself. So I'm the publisher of Christian Standard Magazine, and, and I have an editor that lives in Louisville, Kentucky, and that's only about an hour from Wilmore, which is just a, like 15 minutes uh, southwest of Lexington, Kentucky, to ask him, hey, if you would go uh, down there and take a look at that, and maybe write something about it. We'll pay your expenses. And he said to me, his name's Mike Mack, and, and he said, actually, I just got back. I was there for seven hours, and it was life-changing. It was so powerful. And I came there, and, and you could just feel it, like it was palpable. And, and uh, people, like I was out on the lawn. I never even made it in the building. I was out on the lawn, and people started praying together and a guy came up to me and I said you want me to pray with you I started praying with him people just are you know spontaneously ministering to one another with the Holy Spirit was powerful and I went wow so I felt this need inside of me to go there to experience that myself so I thought about a couple of guys who might have the time to be able to go with me and I called Walt Wilcoxon and then I was going to call Jim Dennis. So I called Walt and I said, hey, you want to go? And he goes, yeah, I'd love to go. And I go, I'm going to call Jim Dennis. He goes, don't bother. He's already there. <laughs> True story. He's actually on his way back. So we were making arrangements to go. And I called Jim and he's on the road coming back. And he was like, this, this was nuts. He goes, it was crazy. And I, I, it, was, it was incredible. And he started telling me about his experience and then uh, he said, you know, they had food. It was provided. They had pizza. They had, they had snacks. They had drinks. They had, they had all this stuff. And I went and I tried to pay for it. And they go, no, it's been provided. Like, are you kidding me? They wouldn't take your money? He said, no. 
said it's been provided. Like somebody had just ponied up the money for like all these restrooms and you know all this stuff. And he goes, I felt so bad. He goes, I put some, I said, you just take donations? And they said, well, we'll take a donation. So he handed him some money and he said, uh, maybe the crossing could do something to help this out. So I called Clayton and I said, what do you think? Do you think the crossing could, could help pay for all this stuff that, that, that they're doing? And he said, just come into the office and we'll cut you a check for $5,000. So you don't know it until now. But as a church, we participated in the Asbury Revival. You were paying for toilets. You were paying for pizza. You were paying for bottled water. So that people could just continue to pray and seek the Lord. Incredible. So we're in the car. You know, we jumped in the car on Friday morning. And we made the seven-hour trip. That was last Friday. And in the car, I was talking to... Walt about what I was going to be preaching about, which is how to pick and be the right spouse. How do you pick the right spouse and how can you be the right spouse? And, and uh, Walt said, well, I'm really excited about half that sermon. <laughs> how come they got it over there, but you guys are still quiet? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, we get to the decision time. Maybe, okay. Anyway, I love his gift of encouragement anyway. So we got there, and we got there as it was uh, getting toward evening, and then as night fell, I mean, I took a few videos, but this is the video that I took when night fell. So look at the screens right now, and you can see what I was experiencing. That's the lawn, and right there is Hughes Auditorium on your left, and that's where, the, if you've seen those videos, that's where they're happening. And you can see a line. You can see, that line is four people wide, and it goes over half a mile six-tenths of a mile, and it is not moving because once you get in the auditorium, people don't want to leave. But people are willing to stand. And by the way, it's 28 degrees when I took that video. And people have filled that lawn, and they're praying outside. You see that they put like this jumbotron thing out there so you could see. And that was amazing. And, And all of the local churches, didn't matter what the sign was out front, didn't matter what denomination they were. It was an amazing thing. They all simulcast it. I went into one, a Baptist church, and you can tell they don't, they don't, they don't do the whole video on the wall thing. So, I mean, it was old school. It was pews and it was organ and piano, right? But they had a chair sitting on the left side and they had a, they had a, a video projector sitting on the chair shooting up against the wall. And so, I mean, I mean that's, that's pretty rudimentary, right? And, uh, and there was a couple of, there were people up, you know, that, that were praying and confessing their sins and stuff happening up front. And there was a couple over there, and there was a guy that was leading them, helping them, like we would do that when, like, praying with them. And, and he kneels to pray, and he sticks his rear end right in front of the, of the video projector. And so, and so you only see half of, like, and nobody said anything. Nobody cared. And, and about every other verse that they were singing that was being simulcast, the, the, uh, the internet was so bad that it would buffer. And it would just freeze and buffer. Nobody cared. They just kept singing. And it was amazing that when it, when it quit buffering, we were right with them again. It was absolutely astounding to me. So... 
what was, what was amazing was there was no production. I mean, it, it was, it, there was not produced at all. It was just a bunch of, a bunch of people in a room. And most of them, 70% of them were under the age of 22. And uh, there was no musical excellence. I mean, they weren't picking people who were just great. Just somebody, if you could get up there with a guitar, and there was somebody maybe uh, on the piano, and they had their phone, they were trying to find, you know, chords, and there was a guy on a beatbox, and that was about it. And they're leading worship, that didn't matter. I mean, all they had to do was start. All they had to do was start a song. There was no words on any screen, so you didn't have words to go with you, you know. Didn't matter. I mean, they'd, they'd sing like a bar or two, and then everybody would just pick it up, and then start singing. There was no special lighting. There was no famous people. There was no comfortable chairs. There was no posh accommodations, and none of it mattered. It was completely student-led, and the, uh, the faculty of Asbury did their best to maintain that. There were people that tried to get some stage time, lots of people that tried to do that. Some of them famous, like Carrie Job came and wanted to sing. They said, no, this is student-led. Tucker Carlson came with a film came with a film crew wanted to do film they said no completely student led That was that day I thought it was amazing how they kept that the way it was and what you saw instead was students worshiping in song confessing their sins publicly dropping to their knees at the altar in repentance giving their testimonies, reading Scripture, and this is how they would read Scripture. I mean, they would line up. They would line up to read a Scripture. And the president of the college was standing in front, and they have a kind of a tradition at Asbury when they read Scripture, and when that Scripture is read, the president would raise his hand and say, this is the Word of God. And then everybody, all those students would say, and we believe it. Like thunderously, they would say that. And then another one would come up, and another one would come up. They'd have 10, 20 in a line, just having a scripture on their heart that they wanted to read. So the faculty made sure that there were no outside distractions. They helped keep it orderly. They rejected people who wanted that stage time. And eventually, I mean, the town of Wilmore is only 3,300 people. And they were having 15,000 a day. So it overwhelmed the community. So eventually they had to say, take the revival out because it can't just stay here. But absolutely beautiful. The Holy Spirit was so thick, it was like James Earl Jones in Field of Dreams when he said that you'd have to brush it away from your face. You just walk into those spaces, you start crying. It was powerful. And I know why I needed to be there. I needed to be there because of what I just confessed to you. I was there for hope. Mike Mack said, I was there for unity. I saw unity. What I saw was hope. Hope for a new generation. Predominantly 18 to 22 year olds crying out for the Lord's presence, confessing their sins to Him publicly, repenting of their sins, and praying with their whole heart for Him to move. Because that is what this Word is all about. Revival is reclaiming. Repentance is reclaiming. Confession is reclaiming. Obedience to God and His Word is reclaiming. 
I confess to you that many times I have felt like Elijah under the broom tree, thinking everyone else is broken and lost, and who's left? And I was reminded that God told Elijah, when he was feeling sorry for himself, that he had reserved 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And I saw thousands and thousands of young people take up the cross of Christ and deny themselves. Now that is not the topic that I was assigned for this series. But it literally has everything to do with it. Finding or being the spouse that honors God requires obedience to Him. Obedience to Him. Over the things of this world and over culture. And Gen Gen Z is under greater pressure than any previous generation that we know of to bow down to the idol of culture and worldly acceptance. But that trip to Asbury showed me that the smallest taste of the Spirit of God is so much more powerful than any of those idols and any of those cultures. See, God's Word is true and it's infallible and it stood the test of time for thousands of years regardless of culture. Culture, on the other hand, has little, if any, shelf life. It is so temporary and it is so disposable. The culture of this generation wants this generation to be known as the generation of anxiety, the generation of depression, the generation of suicide. But God can and will speak life into this generation. And it begins with God's Word. So that's where I want to start today when it comes to being a spouse or finding a spouse. And so we're going to start in the most basic truths about that. Now I'm going to step out from behind this table. And you've all been on an airplane flight. And the flight attendant comes up and they have a seatbelt. And they show you how to operate a seatbelt. Right? And some of us are like, well, that's really dumb. I don't need to do that. I mean, look at me. I mean, I understand how to operate a seatbelt. But sometimes we might want to wonder when we're trying to reclaim something if we still need to know how to operate a seatbelt. When the oxygen mask comes down, they show you how to put it on, even though you ought to know how to put it on. Right? So there's going to be some stuff I'm going to say. And some of you might recoil. And I just want you to put your seatbelt on and make sure you know where your oxygen mask is, okay? Because that's what's going to happen. And I'm not going to waste any time doing it. Ready? I'm going to tell you three things about marriage. Here's the first one. Male and female. Just that. Male and female. I'm going to encourage you today to do the same discipline, the same traditional discipline that Asbury students do. Because when I'm done reading this scripture, I'm going to say this is the Word of God. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. These words, by the way, are in red in my Bible. That means they're the words of Jesus. Ready? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. This is the word of God. There are two sexes assigned at birth. That's the way that God created you and designed you. It goes clear down to the cellular level. Men have an X chromosome and a Y chromosome in every cell. Women have an X chromosome and another X chromosome in every cell. That's how you're made, even down to the cellular level. Now, I know there are people who are same-sex attracted. And I know there are all sorts of cultural variations with regards to sexual identity. But that is not how you are made. And that's down to every cell in your body. I know what the world says and I know what culture says. But the world and culture will pass away. We just read what Jesus said. And Jesus is alive forever. And for those of you that are worried about being judged by culture, I want you to know something. You will never stand before culture and be judged. But you and I will stand before God. We will all stand before God and we will be judged according to His Word. And this is not my opinion. This is what the Bible says. I know that for some of you this is like, how, how, do, you, how do you buckle a seatbelt? But that is not the case in our culture or in Gen Z. Number two, to be unified in faith for life. To understand male and female and then to be unified in faith for life. I don't know what you did or what you feel like you ought to do if you ever find a spouse or when you found a spouse or when you asked someone to be your spouse. But the first question you should find out is where are they in their faith? Before you like their clothes, their hairstyle, their body shape, how well they, they have a conversation, where do they stand on their faith? The Apostle Paul said, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? This should be the first thing that you look for. You need to be it and you need to look for it. Listen to me. It is essential to be in a one flesh in spirit as well as in body. Because without it, you'll never be on the same page. Now, I know some of you that are younger, you might think that marriage is balloons and lollipops and rainbows. But those of us that have been in the war called marriage... We know that it's not always easy. And sometimes it's hard. As a matter of fact, it can be the hardest things, the hardest things that you ever experience in life could happen inside that one flesh relationship. And the place you go for hope and peace and strength is God and His Word. And if you're not on the same page there, let me tell you, I've had enough people in, in my office prove to me that when you're not on that same page, somebody bears that alone. And that is not the way that God designed it. It's the first thing you should have in common. Your faith. Number three, you need to be committed to the godly order of things. 
There is no disorder in God and there is no confusion in God. None. Zero. And so we need to understand that with God, you don't have confusion. You have something else instead. The Bible says God's not the author of confusion, but He's the author of peace. And when you follow God, you can be at peace, not in confusion. What do I mean and how does that apply? Well, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body. Now this is important. I want you to raise your hand if you've heard somebody say, all sin's the same. All sin is sin. Yeah, that's only partly true and partly false. Because sin is not the same when it comes to consequences. All sin separates you from God. In that sense, that's true. But there are some sins that make a lot bigger mark in your life than others. And that's what the Apostle Paul's saying here, right? Let's look at it. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So we have to flee sexual sin. So I said male and female. I said that we need to be unified in faith for life. And third, be committed to godly order. And that's what this scripture is defining. Now, a few months ago, I showed you this. It's called the RAM model. And this is the way that a relationship is supposed to form. You're supposed to get to know somebody. And when you know them well enough, you begin to trust them. Because what trust is, is what you think about what you know. I've had a lot of people come to me, their marriages are falling apart, and they said, well, I really thought that I knew that person. Because that's what trust is. And when trust is broken, it means that what you thought you knew, you really didn't. So there's knowing, and then there's what you think about you know, trust. Then reliance is what you do based on what you think about what you know. How you actually act, not just what you think. And then, if all of that goes well, you come down here to commitment. You say, I want to get, I'm going to get that person off of the market. I want that one to be mine. I want that one to be forever. I want that. I need, oh, yes. Sign me up. Right? That's commitment. That's why you're taking all these O's when you get married. That's commitment. And then, and then, and then, this. Touch. Yeah. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. Because when you get these in the wrong order, things become very confusing and very destructive. And Satan is the author of confusion, not God. And I'll tell you why that is. Because just like the X and Y chromosomes and all these things that God did when, he, when you were created, He also created you that way in every way, including your married life. So when a woman gives birth, her body delivers 10 times the amount of normal, of oxytocin, a hormone, into her body. She just gets this huge rush, as soon as that baby's born, of oxytocin. And they put that baby on mommy's tummy, and something happens, something miraculous happens. Bonding. 
and it's bonding for life. And it's because God designed her to release 10 times the oxytocin in that moment. So there is a chemical, scientific response that God has designed inside of a woman to do that. She also releases that in sexual intimacy. A man in sexual intimacy releases vasopressin, a hormone that is also called the monogamy molecule. Because as a species, human beings were designed to mate for life. Wow, cool. No, maybe not so much. Because how many relationships do you know started that way and did that? Or did we go to the bar hoping we'd get lucky? We pick someone up. It's dark. You're drunk or drinking. In the dark, they look pretty good. You wake up in the morning, you're going, oh my goodness. But all of that hormonal stuff happened. And you do that over and over and over and over again, what happens? This is not how you were designed. This is not how I was designed. And right now you're going, oh, stop preaching. You're killing me. Because I haven't done that. I'm broken. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Reclaim. Reclaim, because God has the ability to fix what is broken. He has the ability to recover what has been lost. Only He can do that. We have got to reclaim. And you're going, okay, okay, how do I do it? Okay, here's an acrostic, an acronym, ready? R-E-C-L-A-I-M, reclaim. I'm going to give you a word and a statement for every one of those so you can remember it. You might want to write them down. Number one, R. What does it stand for? Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. To repent means to turn, literally. The Greek word means to turn. And and there's a scripture that actually has the definition within the scripture. It's in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. It says, repent then and turn to God. So that your sins may be wiped out. You want your sins wiped out? I do. How do I get my sins wiped out? I repent. That your sins may be wiped out. How many of you want the next thing? That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's revival. That's where God fixes your heart. Times of refreshing come from the Lord. And that He may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. To feel the presence of Jesus. To repent. I want that. Yeah, you're broken. Something's lost. Repent. Number two, or E, the letter E. Experience. Experience the cross. Experience the cross. Because that's where the sacrifice for your sins are. If you know that you're carrying all these sins, you know you've got all this stuff. Maybe nobody else knows. Maybe it's a secret thing. You don't, you know, and it's it's just you that knows it. What do I do with it? 
I have all this regret. I have all this hurt. I have all this pain. What do I do with it? You take that right to the cross. Experience the cross. Because it was at the cross where Jesus shed his blood. And his blood is enough to cover every one of your sins. It doesn't require anything more than what Jesus did. When he gave himself as a sacrifice for your sins. So experience the cross. Because that is where the payment is for your sin. C. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Which means to admit your sin before God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will what? You want that? I want that. I want my sins to be wiped out. I want a time of refreshing from the Lord. I want Him to send the Lord, the Messiah, into my heart that He's appointed for me. And I want to know that He's forgiven me. And it doesn't say He will forgive us of our sins only. It says He will purify us. And not just from some of our sin. It says all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, I need to do that. Oh yeah, I'm going to repent. I'm going to embrace the cross and experience the cross. And I'm going to confess my sins. And in the L and reclaim is a definition. It's to understand your sin from God's point of view. Look, it's for look, is the L. Look at yourself from God's point of view. See, everything is just so biased inside of us because we're always about our point of view. We're so self-focused as a culture. But we need to get out of ourselves and we need to get into God's point of view. And when you see things from God's point of view, you agree with Him. And when you agree with Him, you're in the right place. And that is where there is incredible beauty because the beauty of truth is healing. It heals you. Some people think, well, you know, I'm forever scarred. I've been victimized and I've been forever scarred. I'm not saying that you haven't endured a lot of hard things and that you haven't been victimized. But I'm telling you, there isn't coping in the Holy Spirit. There's victory in the Holy Spirit. There, He remakes you. And only He can do that. There's healing in it. A is for accept. This is where it gets really good. Accept the power of God's amazing grace. In Romans chapter 5, verses 9 to 11, it says, Since we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Oh, I want to be saved from God's wrath. For if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow. I is for imagine. Imagine the you that God sees. You know, a lot of times we think that God looks at us and all He sees is all of our shortcomings and all of our all the bad things that we've done. But you know what? That's Satan limiting you to what God sees. Because God sees you 
as a completed work. God sees you with all of your potential realized. The Bible says that we are, as far as He is concerned, we are already seated with Him in the heavenly realms. So God doesn't just see you as His broken up, busted up, dumb kid. He sees you experiencing all of the potential that He has in your life. All of that realized, impacting other people for the kingdom, for all time. Imagine that truth, because it's true. And finally, move. M is move toward Jesus. You see, the thing about sin is, that makes it even more confusing, is we, we realize we've done something wrong, we realize we're broken because of it, realize stuff's been lost because of it, and then we just run. But we're aimless. We just kind of just run. And a lot of times when you run from a sin, you run into a worse one. And what God is trying to help us to understand is that He gives us, He doesn't just tell us to flee, He doesn't just tell us to run, He tells us where we're supposed to run. And that's to Jesus. Because I can tell you this, if you're running to Jesus, you're always running in the right direction. And if you're running to Jesus, you're putting the right amount of distance between you and that sin. So move toward Jesus. I'm going to close with this. We... We sing the song, we sang it last week, I think. I'm praying, God, come and turn this thing around. God, turn it around, turn it around. Lord, turn it around, right? And you know what? That's putting all the responsibility on Him. Like, would you come and fix all this? And if we were to hear the voice of Jesus Christ, He would say, excuse me, I've already been there. I've already been there. I put on a human form. I walked on your earth for 33 years. I endured the worst that a person could give another person. I died for you on the cross. I was buried for you in a borrowed tomb. I rose from the dead. And I ascended to my Father in heaven. And I'm there right now pleading your case. So maybe when we sing, I'm praying God come. Maybe we should just point our finger like this and say, and turn this thing around. God, turn this around. Turn me around. (laughs) Turn me around. Like the students in Asbury, we're broken people, we're lost people. So am I. But when the Spirit comes, and we submit to that Spirit, something happens. Something wonderful happens. Because the church begins to look beautiful with all of her beautiful messiness. I'm talking about marriage, and some people would say, you know, but Jesus was never married. The whole reason Jesus came to this earth was to get married. And you are His bride. And He gave His life up for His bride. And He's coming back for His bride because... There is nothing in this world more beautiful than the bride of Jesus Christ. We're moving to a time of decision. There are people in this room struggling right now.
hurting right now. Wrestling right now. Oh, you might be a Christian. You may have said the words. You may have made the decision. That's all great. I appreciate that so much. But you know what I mean. Because life happens like we call it the lower story. The lower story happens, right? And I'm just going to invite you to do something today because these steps have been, they've been prayed on and they've been wept on for years. And it is where the lower story gets enveloped by the upper story. Because when you get low before the Lord, you see the heights like you never did before. When you get down, He lifts you up. Because this is a place of repentance. And it's a place of confession. And it's a place of grace. And if you've got something on your heart, maybe you're carrying it for yourself, maybe you're carrying it for somebody that you love, bring it to the Lord. Just bring it to the Lord. And I know you can do that in your seat, but it's something profound. When we get down on our knees and we don't care who sees us, like those students when they start confessing their sins publicly with a microphone. I don't care who sees it. I don't care who hears it. Because I want him to hear it. Some of you are here today and you've never accepted Lord Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. You've never come into an intimate, personal relationship with Him. And right over there by that baptistry, there's going to be somebody to talk to you. And there's nothing in this world. I, I, can't, I, I can't ever put any words together in a sermon that would even begin to match the sermon that is preached when a person is immersed and raised up in that water. It's the most profound, powerful sermon you'll hear. Is that one. Just the sound of water. And a smile. And joy. And that's available for you right now. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you. Father, we reject the things of this world. We reject the things of this culture. And we embrace the culture of heaven. We embrace citizenship in heaven. We embrace your word because it is the inerrant, infallible truth and our authority for life. It's eternal thing that you gave us in this temporary world. We hear your words. We want your words to sink deep inside of our hearts. So I pray, Father, in this moment we'll respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.